This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Guys, what's going on? It's Jeff Fader, Fader Knives. This is the Full Blast Podcast. Didn't you know? Of course you knew. I wasn't here last week. Before we get into it, I want to talk about a couple of our sponsors. I want a big, big thanks to our friends over at Broadbeck Ironworks. Makers of the 2x72 grinder, it is an amazing grinder made by knife makers, for knife makers, metal workers, sculptors, woodworkers. If you're removing material, use a Broadbeck. I'm very, very impressed with all the things they have to offer, including different attachments, different functions. You can one flip of the switch and it goes from horizontal to vertical. It is very, very user-friendly and intuitive for whoever needs it, I'm telling you. Number one, they are also distributed at Maritime Knife Supply. We're going to talk about them, as well as in Australia, the only distributor for Broadback Ironworks in Australia are our friends at Gamco. That's Corin. Corin and the guys. Corn and the guys. They're, they're, they got the they got the Broadback. So what I want you to do is check out what they have going on at the uh, broadbackironworks.com. And if you put in the promo code Knife Talk 10, you get 10% off all the attachments, the parts, the packages, the whole nine yards. Follow them on Instagram. They're doing a lot of things there. They're doing a lot of great things. And I'm under the impression, and it's not something that I'm not afraid to say it because he posted about it. I think they're starting to make power hammers. So get ready for broadbackironworks.com. I am with you. Next is Even Heat. Manufacture the finest heat treat ovens available. To find your next heat treat oven, go to evenheat-kiln.com. Listen, when I was in Spain, Barcelona, Tomer Botner of Florentine Kitchen Knives had a tap control, not a tap control, my bad, he had a ramp master with uh, the, the uh, LB series, long the long blade series, and the coils in the back. We got it all fast. We got it all squared away. And let me tell you something. I don't know what it is, but that 220 over there in, in the EU might be a little faster than the 220 here in the United States. I don't know. It seemed like we got that stuff heat treated much faster over in Europe. I don't Don't ask me. I don't know. I'm just telling you. But you should definitely check out your even heats. Uh, they are the best if you are hardening material, if you're hardening knives, swords, axes, hammers. I got some hammer makers coming on. I got some axe makers coming on. We're going to talk about the even heat. So go to evenheat-kiln.com and you can check out what they have. I am also under the impression that Broadbeck Ironworks is a distributor of even heat. So when you're over there, go check it out. See what's going on over there. If you have the opportunity in the United States, get that tap control. The Ram Master's awesome. It's very easy to use, and they have a lot of great YouTube videos. They have the the uh, I had I was looking through their pat the uh, instruction manual. Very easy to use, but the Tap Master's where it's at. Tap Master's worth it, and the Solid Straight Drive is awesome. I love Even Heat. I love the guys at Even Heat. Once again, if, Even Heater, forget about it. It's enough already. Stop playing. Next thing is our friends at Nordic Edge. Nordic underscore edge on instagram they're the makers of pro tools for knife makers if you're in australia these are the guys behind the original file guy with screw-on carbides which i love they sent me one of their screw-on carbide file guides <sighs> damn it is good i definitely love them and they've been making all sorts of great stuff since 2015 
They're in Australia. They were at Blade Show. Apparently, they had a good time. Those boys had a good time. They have all sorts of stuff that they make besides the big Mert file guide, which you can get at knifekits.com. They have uh, the uh, tang hole saw, a.k.a. a brooch. When you say tang hole saw, there's other connotations if you're not a knife maker. But don't worry about that. They have beveling jigs. They also have other things you should definitely check out. If you're in Australia, you want to learn about knife making, they got this knife making supplies. They have abrasives. They got grinders, toolings, handle kit materials, parts, hammers, all sorts of stuff, and they teach classes. So go check out nordicedge.com.au and figure out, get your life together over there in Australia and go check those boys out because they are going to help you. I'm telling you what, and if, if Sausage Man Forge is involved, then you know it's okay by everybody. No, every not, There's not one person on this planet I've ever heard say one bad thing about Jamie Bishop, a.k.a. Sausage Man Forge. A guy is a national treasure. He looks like he came out of an Asterix comic. Only two people are going to get that reference. Fine. He's the man, and NordicEdge.com.au is a great company. Bjorn and the guys are awesome. So thank you very much once again to NordicEdge.com.au. You want to talk about another supplier that's awesome, Lawrence Lake over at Maritime Knife Supply. That's MaritimeKnifeSupply.ca for all your knife-making needs. Belts, abrasives, steels, kilns, forges, presses, heat treating ovens, anvils. Everything you need to get supplied or get started. They're also the distributor of Broadback Ironworks in Canada. They're also the distributor of Dama Steel in Canada. If you are a knife maker and you think there's something they should get let them know. Lawrence Lake is on top of things. I could just mention something on this podcast and he'll send a message saying, I can get that. Maybe he doesn't have it, but he can get it. So go check out what's going on over at Maritime Knife Supply. And if you want to get a little discount, get yourself a pack, a 10 pack of abrasives, abrasive belts. And what'll happen is he's going to give you, he's going to give you 10% off. So you will get one free belt so go check out uh maritime knife supply he's also they're also the support they're they're also sponsoring some knife shows in canada and they're he's on the ball lawrence on the ball next is our friends at trojan horse forge the makers of the stable rail knife finishing vice vice is built in the heart of texas these are vices designed to take your handle finishing to a whole new level you know why because it ain't just about the handle you know what i'm saying there are plates on there with rubber and it and it allows you to hand sand the blade comfortably and in a position that will support your blade with little bolts and little movements and you get a distal taper no problem you have an integral bolster no problem you have a you have a, a curved blade no problem they figured it all out. If you want to get yourself squared away with one of the best vices in the game, go get yourself a stable rail knife finishing vice from Trojan Horse Forge and stop playing. I'm telling you, when I deal with these sponsors, it's I'm telling you to stop playing. These are the ones. These are the guys. So go get yourself some of that stable rail knife finishing vice, and then you can, when you do your handle, it moves all the way around, 360 degrees. It's dynamite, and I am a fan. It comes in a bomb-proof case. When I say bomb-proof, it looks like there are there's something serious in that box. And when you open it up, it's a lot of heavy steel and getting all the good stuff to get your knife finished in the best way possible so thank you trojanhorseforge.com p.s they have payment plans so you can you can you can let them you can whoever's looking at your credit card bills may not know that you're all the lumping out you're going to do they got you squared away thank you trojan horse forge next is speaking of lumping out my boys at trojan at a baker forge and tool 
makers of some of the snazziest steel, exotic steels you've ever seen. In and it's consistent and it's excellent. You want to put some razzle dazzle in your in your game. If you're just a hobbyist and you want something special, this is the stuff for you. Get you that copper my bronze my tiger my all that my get it all whatever it is any kind of my you want they got it and and it's great and it's consistent. It's that's the most important thing. They're making these very complex steels. And they're consistent. I've gotten a pile of them. They always look great. There are never any inclusions. And God forbid there were an inclusion. You call them up, they replace it. The customer service is great. Koi understands business. Koi understands what you need. And Koi is going to take care of you, including the etching. He knows that you, know, you mix the ferric. And then you put a little distilled water in there. How much? I don't know. Put some in because full blast uh, ferric don't do it. You know what I'm saying? Throw a little water. How much water? They've figured it out. They've made their own proprietary etchant that works great on not only Baker Forge and Tool Steel, but it works great on all Damascus. I had, a, I had some pattern welded steel for my boy. Uh, Bob Rankin, as I always, I own, P.S., when I buy Damascus, I only get it from Bob Rankin. I use the gator piss, the etchant from, from Baker Forge and Tool. You heard me right. I didn't stutter. I didn't have some sort of weird, you know, mind lapse. I said gator piss. That's the name of the etchant, gator piss. Clearly, clearly, Coy knows what he's talking about. And what he's talking about is gator piss. Gator is short for alligator and piss is short for urine. Okay, so get yourself some of that gator piss. Stop playing. You will be able to etch all your knives and your steel and your Baker Forge stuff and your other stuff perfectly. It is crazy. And the hilarious thing is, before I started using it, he sent me a joke. He's like, all right, you can't keep talking about it and I use it. I talked to a number of very well-respected knife makers who swear by gator piss, except for they can't tell people that they're using gator piss because all of a sudden you have to answer all sorts of questions. So what I'm saying to you is just don't say anything. Just use it. Just say, I don't, Mareko, Mareko uses, he calls it, he, I don't know what he calls it, gator etching. He, he, he makes it, don't worry about it. Just keep your mouth shut. You don't have to tell everybody everything. It's not a lie of omission. A lie of omission being you just don't tell someone. Yes, it's a lie of omission. Just don't say anything. You don't have to say, I use an etching. That's it. Boom. You don't have to, what do you got? It. What, what, what are you being uh, interrogated? Don't worry about it. Get yourself some gator piss. Stop playing. And if you are in the EU, you might as well get some etching from that fool over at uh, <laughs> DIY Europe. I'm just kidding, Matt. I'm just kidding. You're not a fool. Uh, you took a shot at me a couple of weeks ago and I figured I'd just, I just, I, I, I think I'm pretty sore about it. Actually, I'm not. I'm just kidding. Don't write me back. It's fine. DIY Europe is the man. Matt Bickers, I am obviously just kidding. Uh, he, is the, he is the distributor of Gator Piss in Europe. If you're in Europe and you want some DIY Europe.eu and get yourself some of that Gator Piss because it's worth it. Nobody says it's not worth it. And the name is the name. That's it. The name is the name. Stop talking about it. Just stop talking about it. So get yourself some of that gator piss. Get yourself some of that Baker Forge and Tool Steel. And get some copper mine, bronze mine, sand mine, mosaic Damascus. And put in the promo code full blast and you'll get 10% off. That's enough. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. I'm really stretching these reads out. I, you know why? Because it's just me today. All right, guys. I'm going to make them good. And I'm, we're gonna, we have a lot to talk about. 
Couple more and we're gone. Next thing is Total Boat. Total Boat are makers of adhesive paints, primers, products, compounds. For boaters and DIYers, understand that you need your boat to float. Period. They make products to keep you from sinking. Now, I don't want to possibly make any awful comments about this poor, terrible situation. And I'm sure that Total Boat probably doesn't even want me to talk about this horrendous, disgraceful, disgusting, terrifying story involving a submarine in in uh, going down to see the Titanic. It's sad. It's gross. I'm sad. It's, it hurts my stomach thinking about these poor billionaires stuck in the bottom of the ocean and they, who knows what happened? I'm not making jokes. I'm legitimately upset by it. It's the worst. It's my, the ultimate way to not die. You don't want to die next to another dork with a, with one toilet that isn't even a toilet, just a black box. It, the whole thing sucks. But here's what I know. And I'm saying this from me. This is not coming from Total Boat. And if they want to stop sponsoring me for this, feel free. Uh, listen, I'm with you. Kristen, if you're listening to this, you did not tell me to say this. I'm saying this. Jeff Vader, the Full Blast Podcast, is saying, if, if they used Total Boat on the outside of that submarine might have been a different story might not even have been a story that's all i'm saying is that wrong of me to suggest that it's not because here's the thing total boat keeps boats afloat they keep boats afloat if you're using total boat you are not sinking that's it period they have figured it out they have figured it out and if you're a woodworker you use it for that you make yourself some of that river table you know what I'm saying? Go use the total boat. I use the total boat for all my scales when I'm laminating scales together. Total boat. They make dies strictly for that stuff, and it's great. I'm not saying I'm not saying the things could have been avoided. A lot of things could have been avoided. But if I'm one of them dudes getting on getting ready to go on that trip with the joy the joysticks the xbox controller is like going on an atari game you're looking at one porthole you can't see anything you're stuck in with you're stuck in with five other rich dorks and a and a whatever bologna sandwich i'm gonna first thing i'm gonna get on is see what are you using to, what are you using to coat this coat this submarine are you using total boat and then if they didn't say it I definitely wouldn't have got on. That's what I'm. That's that's how firmly I feel how distasteful this whole ad read is. But you know what? I gotta be. I gotta be me. You know what I'm saying? Kristen and I, we know each other. Don't worry about that. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, things could have been avoided. And I'm. And this is me. This is not total boat. I might have ruined our relationship. But I, I'm telling you what I know, okay? Totalboat.com. And I want you to know something. I know some other guys who would have used that Total Boat. They would have been in good shape too. Keith Deason, Derek Fromalda, Keith Johnson, Keith Mitchell. They're all using Total Boat. You know who's not using Total Boat? Don't worry about that. And if you go to totalboat.com slash full blast, you, uh, you get a discount uh, and it's affiliate code that helps me out. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I'll tell you what. That was inappropriate. It was inappropriate. It was disgraceful and crass on my part, and I am sorry. I'm sorry, but it still was a damn good read for Total Boat. You know what I'm saying? Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep your boats up. That's what their that's what their slugline should be. Keep it up.
Total boat. There you go. Look at you. I'm fucking... Listen, Kristen, don't worry. I got your back. I got your back. Kristen over Total Boat, you ever need any marketing advice, I'm your man, okay? Knife makers, go get yourself some of that Total Boat and keep it up. You know what I'm saying? Keep it up. All right, guys. Last but not least, my boys over at GL Hansen & Sons. <sighs> makers of the G-Carta. G-Carta is this amazing... Uh, unique composite of natural fibers and fabrics mixed with epoxy under pressure and heat and it looks like a cross-cut block he makes these cross-cut blocks with crazy colors and there's rippling and there's beautiful colors and stuff like that and it's great and i've used it and it's awesome they have different colors word on the street is they're making a new color that they're gonna let me name i'm telling i i told i'm telling you GL sent me a message saying, we're making a new block for you. And I said, can I name it? And they said, absolutely. So I'm going to be naming, uh, possibly, who knows? I mean, after that whole Total Bowl read, who knows? I mean, I might not be naming anything ever again. This might be it. I might get, you know, who knows? I might get shuffled off. You know, who knows? I mean, you got, we got to talk. I mean, we, at some point we should talk about the, the, the stepson of this guy, the stepson of this guy going to Blink-182 concert. Meanwhile, stepfather's, he in that submarine at the bottom of the ocean. And we got to talk about that too. All right, let me get back to it. So get yourself some of that G-Carta at gcarta.bigcartel.com. It, you get yourself some of that Bofa. That's one of the names of the colors, Bofa. You get some of that Ripple Cut. You get that Tuxini. You get that Mahi Mahi Radio Worm G-Carta. Get that Pheasant. Get that Colorama. Get that Hoopla. Amazing colors. Razzle Dazzle for your project. It's awesome stuff to work with. Those guys are awesome. Small business. Doing great things. Go check out the guys over at GL Hanson & Sons. That's G.L.Underscore underscore Hanson & Sons. That's, and then you can buy it at G-Carta bigcartel.com I mean you can't make it this stuff is the best period it's the best so that's it I that did a little bit longer than I normally do because I think we all know what happened we what happened is it's just me today and here's the reason why there's a good reason I just got back from I just got back from Barcelona and we're gonna talk about Barcelona we're talking about Florence and get your knives if we have time at the end, we might have to touch upon the submarine thing because I don't, you know, the submarine thing's weird, but what's weirder is the steps on one of the guys. We got to talk about, if I can remember, if I can remember, we got to talk about that motherfucker. All right. Speaking of which, God bless those people. I hope they find them. God bless them. I hope they find them. Please, please. So I just got back from uh, Florentine Kitchen Knives in Barcelona. I was in there for 10 days. And let me tell you what. Barcelona is for me, and I'll take three. You can just write it down. I love Europe, but I love Barcelona more, and there's a lot of reasons why. So a number of years ago, uh, I've been friends with Florentine Kitchen Knives, and if you want to get the if you want to get the real dope on on Tomer Botner, Tomer Botner, and the Florentine Kitchen Knives, I interviewed him uh, a couple years ago, and it's the most thorough in regards. So now I'll sum it all up in a minute. So he's this smart guy, uh, Israeli. He went to design school and they had to do a project where they designed a product. He designed a knife. He's a designer before he was a knife maker. He designed this knife. Part of it was the idea is he was using, he was looking at these old Scandinavian knives that were using birch bark discs, birch bark discs. 
and then they were all kind of cut down to shape and he was looking at that and then he was thinking about culinary knives and the idea of can these discs uh, based on the type of discs you use, can it change the weight and balance of the knife for the culinary person? And then that was really the kind of the idea. It was this beautiful design. It was a classic design. It was also similar to the Skakel design. Skakel design. Skakel, Skakel, the Skakel design. Skakel, we got to talk about Skakel one time. He was the guy who was involved with the uh, that the Kennedy murder many, many years ago. Uh, we can't talk about that now. We're gonna, I got to stay on board. So the idea was, you can tell that the jet lag, the jet lag is still, is still flowing through my stuff. I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm, I'm all over the place. So what happened was, was uh, he really kind of dug in deep with these discs, not only the discs for, um, for the weight and balance, but he realized that using non-wood you know, you could all of a sudden develop some, you know, beautiful colors and stuff like that. So he was, he's using leather because one of the reasons why you have to use leather in one of the Florentine kitchen knives is it's a curved handle. In order for there to be a degree of compression, you can use these colorful discs. And then in between you use the the leather. And when you compress it all together, you got that pommel nut that kind of ties it all together. You, the leather compresses on the inside and then it holds its place on the outside. So you end up with uh, a very, very good curve and there's no weirdness with the, um, the discs. So it was something that really what came from a, this concept of the design. Uh, his designs are, as far as I'm concerned, the most recognizable in Europe. And if you were to list off the most recognizable custom knife companies in the world, if Florentine Kitchen Knives isn't in there. I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, a mistake has been made. So he, Tomer and I have been friends for a long time. And um, I guess he saw me. One of the things that uh, my wife and I have decided with our daughter is part of her education really is travel. So we don't buy a lot of stuff. We don't have a lot of stuff. We've spent our you know, extra money that we've had on travel. So we would stay with friends in France. We stay with friends in England. And he saw us in uh, Amsterdam, I think, and sent me a message. He's like, oh, you come over here a lot. Why don't you come down here and we'll teach a class? We decided, and this is like 2019, 2019-ish, 17, 18, 19, right before the pandemic. And I came over, I stayed with him and his family. And um, no, no, I didn't. The first time I we got a little bed, we had a little Airbnb. And then uh, we taught two classes and my wife and daughter came. But the thing was, we really wanted to maximize classes. We did two two-day classes. And it was like, when my family came, I wasn't really present. I was more very, I was very concerned with the classes going on and stuff like that. So we did a good job. He invited me back. I was ready to come back. Pandemic hit. We had to refund some money. Waited a couple of years. Pandemic slows down. Went back last summer. Had a great time in his new shop. He's at a brand new shop, big shop. And then uh, we did it again. So I went out there. And the reason why he's not on this right now is we had... Uh, he's number one. He's a very busy guy. Very busy guy. One of the reasons why he's so busy is because he has got a lot of work to do, just a ton of work to do. And what he did was he, he was so busy and we were so busy doing the whole thing. We tried to record an episode in his apartment right before my flight. The problem is there's construction going on in the apartment above and you could hear how loud it was. It was so goddamn loud 
that hearing the, the drills and the jackhammers and everything like that, it was not only loud, but it was confusing to us in our conversation. We were completely confused in the conversation. And then I thought, I said, All right, I'll fix it in the end. I listened to it and it was just not, we were having a hard time kind of understanding where we're going. So what I decided to do was I'll get him back some other day. He's hard to get a hold of um, because obviously we're six hours plus in, in uh, different time zones. But at the same time, it's like he's a busy guy. So this was an amazing trip, and I wanted to talk about the class. I wanted to talk about Barcelona, and I wanted to do a little – I have some analyzation to do on um, the Florentine kitchen knife style. I want to talk a little bit about design, and I had a revelation in regards to why his well, – something can work in his knife and don't work on my knife. So it was great. We sold the classes out, two classes. We did two two-weekend classes. The hard part is, is, and this is like, this is something that he came up with. In the beginning, when he first came up with this idea, I didn't think it was going to work as well as it did um, because it's not the way you normally do a class. Normally you have a class, you have a, you know, have a small group of people, you figure out how many people you can, you, you can work. And then you have a certain amount of grinders, a certain amount of space, and then you kind of work with that and you figure out how we can do it. Well, he at the when he first did it, he only had one grinder, so it was impossible for there to be a big class. We decided to do it in stages. He wanted to give people slots, and the first time we did it, it was like everybody had an hour slot per station. So we would grind for an hour, and then they would go to some other station for an hour, and then we had different stations. And it became very stressful because I mean, if someone's late or someone's not grinding correctly, it just becomes. It becomes, you know, you don't want to back thin people up. You don't want the last guy to be like hours late. So the first one worked. We hauled ass. It's tri- It's a tricky class because most of the students that he gets are different than the students in the United States. Most of them are not professional knife makers. Most of them are customers of his that just wants to get the experience. Mm-hmm. And these are people who, des- de- who don't want to... Um, they don't want to uh, become knife makers, but they want to get a taste of the action. So you have to figure out a way to teach people how to grind knives and you have to take away a lot of potential problems. Like one of the potential problems is as most knife makers know, the first hundred knives you do are going to suck. So you have to figure out a way to make them feel as though they're getting the experience of making a knife. But also at the end of the day, they're ending up with a knife that's as good as one you're going to get from Florentine kitchen knives. So it was, it's a tricky thing that we figured out. And this last class was definitely without question, the most the best one. It's the best one because how do you meet the expectations of the students? How do you give them both the experience and make sure that they come out with something really good, even if they suck? How do you make sure that problems don't happen when you're grinding a very thin chef knife? So this is something that Tomer and I worked out. He, I give him a lot of credit for the bravery. He figured out how we can... Um, grind the knives. We got beveling jigs from TR Maker. You can get them at uh, Maritime Knife Supply. And we just set some bevels and we just, basically there was two grinders. Tomer was on one with one student. I was on another with another student. And we just kind of really held their hands to a certain degree because most of these people had never touched industrial equipment. And how do you just get them up to speed? And we had just about an hour and a half per, per knife. And it worked out. And this, this last time, we now we've done it now. We've done this class 
one, two, three, four, five times. We got it down. So let's back it up. Um, getting ready, as some of you know, my daughter, I, we, we decided we were going to do this this year and bring my family because my daughter's graduating. And, and I had her on a couple episodes ago. She did great. As we speak, this is Wednesday. She is going to graduate officially tomorrow, Thursday. And when you hear this, you will know my daughter is a high school graduate unless something happens. I can't imagine at this point anything going to happen. They gave her all their robes and all the bullshit they're going to give her. And so congratulations, golf clap, Lila. As this is out, she's a, college, a high school graduate getting ready for college. So we made the decision that this would be a great graduation gift. We didn't. She didn't have a 16th birthday because of the pandemic. She didn't have all. The, she we never. She never wanted things. We thought this would be a great send off. So we brought her with us. So I flew out early on Thursday, and the, I'm going to tell you some flight moves. If you go to Europe, the move is if you're in the United States, you're going to Europe leave at night, leave at night. So when you wake up in the next morning, you, if you get on the plane immediately, and I'm going to tell you about fucking air travel to Europe. If you go to do what I do and you're cheap, you go to one of these, you know, cheapticket.com or canoe and stuff like that. And you plug in your dates and you want the cheapest ticket available. The move is you want cheapest, cheapest ticket available. That's one that's, that's nonstop. You do not want cheapest ticket available with a stop. That is bullshit. No stops, no stops, no changing planes. Don't do it. It's not, it's not, your time is not worth changing planes and going through customs and it's not worth it. So, I go with cheapest flight that leaves at like six or seven, arrives in the in Spain by six or seven in the morning. You're supposed to get on the plane and go right to sleep. You go right to sleep because you're trying to catch up. If you can go right to sleep, it's a six-hour flight. Don't ask me why it's a six-hour flight going over and it's an eight-hour flight going back. Don't ask me. I don't know. I'm not a nautical dude. I'm not an air guy. I don't know about this. I I don't understand it, but whatever. Tailwind. I don't know. You get on the plane and you're supposed to go to sleep. I do not do the drinking on the plane. I do not do the drinking before the plane because you're you're it's so dry and you're so fucked up. I don't want to be hungover. Hungover is not what I want. I want to be well rested. I took some bennies, baby, some Benadryl. Got a couple bennies. Got on the plane. I'm ready to go. I got the neck pillow on. I get I get myself on the window seat so I can wedge myself into the corner. You wedge yourself into the corner and you just kind of like like a wasp's nest. You just kind of like cocoon into the corner, right? Plane goes up. I go out. Lights go on. Your dinner is being served. So the lights are on and they're rambling those fucking carts through the aisles. And would you like something to eat? So you can't get a wink of sleep. And then you want to know what they're serving. I mean, you paid for the tickets. You can't, Nobody wants to eat fucking airline food, but you know, one, you paid for it. If it's coming to you for free, it ain't free. You want to know what's going on and you hope that maybe this one will be good. But you know it won't. But you still take it anyway because you you paid for it. And you you kind of want to know. And, and you want to know so you can complain. So I got the food. It sucked. 
I wait, and then you can't go back to sleep until they come around. So you give them the garbage. So I gave them the garbage, went to sleep, and I am not kidding when I say this. They gave the dinner, went to sleep. Three hours later, they turned the lights on for breakfast. Three hours later. Three hours later. And so six-hour flight, first hour, you're just getting your life together. Then you get dinner. That's another half an hour. Three hours of sleep. Wake up for breakfast. Three hours after dinner. I mean, what is going on? Or how about just one or the other? Or how about do you? I mean, or leave it alone. They turn the lights off and then they turn the lights back on three hours later. Here comes dessert. How comes breakfast? Yogurt. I mean, you're waking me up for yogurt. I mean, Jesus Christ! Yogurt and a fucking handful of granola. That's what you're waking me up for? Crazy. And of course I'm taking it because I paid for it and I want to know. Actually, the yogurt was very good. Shout out to Chobani. I'm with you. It was a Greek vanilla yogurt down, full fat, full everything. Shit I don't normally get. Shout out to Chobani. I'm with you. Good call. American Airlines. Then you're up. So I got three hours of sleep, landed, went through customs, no problem. And then took a cab to Tomer's place. He met me as he always does when he's looking out the window. Blah, blah, blah. Had a great time. And then uh, we went. What did we do? The first thing we did was we went to the shop. And I gave him some presents and stuff like that. And we kind of looked around. And then uh, we he took me to what we normally do on the first day, the Friday. So get into Friday. He took me to see Borja. And I know what you're saying. Who the fuck's Borja? Borja is the chef of chefs in Barcelona. Borja is from the Basque country, which is, Google it. I can't explain it, but it's a specific type of country people from Spain. Basque people. You've heard of it, B-A-S-Q-U-E. There are, spe- there, there are a lot of different sects. There's a lot of different cultures in Spain. There are the Catalonians. We're going to talk about Catalan. We're going to talk about the Basques. Borja is Basque, and he is real Basque. A lot of these guys, these real Spanish guys, they are nationalistic, very nationalistic. They are down with the program, down with the program. Borja, I met Borja the first time I was in um, Barcelona. Uh, Tomer Tomer said, we're going out for dinner. It was the first time I went. Tomer said, we're going to have a boys' night. He took me to see Borja at his old restaurant. And it was an, it was a one, probably the most incredible dinner I ever had of all sorts of like, it was almost like, if you know what omakase is, omakase is small plates that the chef serves, it's not on the menu. So it's usually at a sushi place. If it's a good place, you, you, put, you say omakase, and that's basically, a, you're putting your hands out and saying, I'm putting my faith in you, chef. And you just, set, he's going to send stuff out until you say stop. That's the most important thing. And true, t- and here's a tip. If there's a sushi restaurant that you say, I want omakase, if it's a good place, they will remember you and they will never give you a menu again and you're on the hook for omakase. So just be aware. My mother fell for that gag and all of a sudden, anytime she walked in for a fucking tuna roll, she ended up with a $175 bill because the chef was, you know, oh, you said omakase once. That means... That means no menu forever again. I'm going to just like squeeze you dry with your money. So Borja was sending us these beautiful meals. It was Basque flavors, which is the one of the big things is fresh seafood and 
pork and meat and these amazing cuts and everything's cured. And the most important part is they're using what's called garum, garum, G-A-R-U-M, which is this Roman style fish sauce. When you think of fish sauce, you think of that Vietnamese fish sauce. Garum is a sauce made from fermented fish parts, fish guts. And it is got lots of flavor and it's rich and it's a little bit funky and he puts it on everything and it's, he makes his own and it takes like, he served us some this time that took a year to make. And it's like black, this black, very, it's almost looks like soy sauce. And I'm sure that there's some sort of connection there. I hate to say umami, but that's what the whole flavor profile is. And it is pretty stunning. So we went to see Borja the first year and then he came to make a knife. I got to spend time with Borja and then this guy is hilarious. He's got tattoos all over the place. His English is very good. He is very, very funny. He can tell jokes in English and he's a bullshit guy. He loves to fool around, but his food is so high level that like the highest level guys in Spain, when they come to eat, they go to see Borja. I'm telling you. And he's like, he's like a maniac and he's funny and he's like a regular dude. So he left his original place and then he opened a place called his own place called Ultra Marinas Marine. And if you go to faderknives.com, you can watch. Uh, I did two reels with Borja only because I love fucking Borja. Borja is my favorite chef on the planet Earth. There is nobody there. I don't know of a distant second. And part of it's because I like his style. He doesn't give a fuck and he's funny and he's really serious. He's serious about his food. He's funny as fuck. And, but it's all very simple food. It's just very good. So we went to see Borja this week, this week, and uh, he's got two, the, the restaurant's called Ultra Marinas Marine. I don't know the exact reasoning why. Apparently it's like, it translates to like a dollar store, like the name of a dollar store. I'm not hundred percent sure, but that's kind of what it's going for. It's like kind of like a kitschy name. And there it's two places. The restaurants, half of it is like, a looks like a standard really nice dinery tapas place. Now tapas is the uh, Spanish food you eat at lunch or, or dinner that it's small plates. So you order small plates and you're drinking a beer and you're having a small bite of this and a small, an olive here and a, and a, and a pepper here. And then you're having some sardines and oil and sardines and vinegar and you got some shrimps and they're little plates. And it's actually the most fun way to eat because you're usually eating with a bunch of people and you're not, you know, it's great. So half of it's this kind of diner style um, tapas place. And then the other half, the back half, is his dark, like torturous dungeon where he does like seatings for his friends and family. So he could make this place a lot bigger, but he's just chosen to have this back area that's very so the front is very well lit it's very like it has like an american diner style to it and the staff is awesome and they're funny and they're really nice and then the back is like torture zone i mean there he's got a he's got a handmade cast iron uh, oven that he has fire he has coals roasting all the time he's everything is all the all the stuff he cooks is over fire i guess he's one of these chefs who was trained under one of these fire guys, you know, when you hear the word, listen, with all due respect, when you hear the expression live fire cooking, I please stop because it doesn't, it's just like, you don't, 
you don't need to jazz up good food but with words like live fire it's all you're live everyone's live when they're cooking the food isn't live the fire is fiery but nothing's really live okay so let's just back off a hair with some of these expressions but i'm using it because this is what you know everybody you've been beaten to the ground with live fire cooking he's all about the fire to the point where i'm we're gonna talk about what i'm gonna get borja next time i see him so there's this giant eye beam. He took two pieces of channel, or somebody did. So he made a bar. So it's a long bar, and then there's a table. And then it's separated by this two pieces of long channel with eye beam in between. So he bolted to this. So the eye beams on the on the is facing. So the legs are out. So it's the it's like it's like the shape of an eye. And then there's two pieces of channel the same size as the as the eye beam. And he bolted it together with big bolts. So it's like it looks like three slabs. And here's what's so smart about it. He did it like that so he could run wires through and then he could make he had light, he has got lights coming out of the I-beam. Fucking thing is awesome. He's got this giant, you know, Frankenstein's monster of a of a of a oven that's got embers and stuff and he's constantly taking these plates and sticking things in them and everything's roasting and then he has these areas that ha that are he's cooking with fire in this fucking restaurant in this coal hot coals and then next to him he's got a saute guy and then next to him has got his like cold apps guy cold apps guy shout out to gonzalo the, the cold apps guy is my guy cold shout out to gonzalo gonzalo's the man so we come in and we see Borja. It's great to see him. I've been eating Borja's food now for like four years. I love Borja. I love seeing him. He makes jokes. He's the best. He gives me a hug. We're, we're friends. Borja's my guy. I brought him a knife too. I brought him a knife too. I brought him a soft set serrated because I thought these guys in Spain don't know about offset serrated knives. And guess what? He asked me what it was for. So God bless you. God bless you, Spain. I'm planting the flag on offset serrated in, in Spain. And I'm officially, quote, I'm officially, I'm like, I'm like, I'm claiming Spain for offset serrated knives. I am claiming it. I'm claiming Barcelona. If Borja don't know what an offset serrated is, and I gave him this first one, he asked me what it was for. Fader Knives is claiming the offset serrated in Spain. I mean, I hate to be this way. I hate to be this way. I don't hate to be this way, actually. I like to be this way, but that's the way it is. So, Spain, I'm your daddy. Who's your daddy, Spain? I'm your daddy. When it comes off, said serrated, I'm your daddy. So, starts sending food out. First thing is little bites of chicharron, which is pork belly. That's like cooked perfectly like a roast, but then the skin is like this, like this crispy chicharron. You know what I'm talking about? Like a fried pork rind. Every bite is just awesome. And then he's sending out these sh different types of shrimp and the heads are grilled, but the bodies are marinated. And then he's sending out one of the th cool things was Gonzalo, the coal guy. He, he, I, we were watching him and he was slicing sashimi like pieces of, of meat, of fish that was cured. And then he would put it on the, on these pieces of wax paper and then he would put on some you put some of the garum on it and then he put some he'd put some olive oil on it and he sent it to us and they were like the most delicious bites every bite was so delicious and you couldn't explain it and he there was one part where he's i this is one thing i've never seen before he had these amazing clams and he kept knocking on them with the, the back of a knife this now the knife he was using for the clam job was and clam job should be the name of a band p.s 
if you're out there and you're looking for a fucking band name, Clam Job is your, all yours. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you Clam Job. Clam Job is a great name for a band. I offer it to you, Clam Job. So he takes the clams and he's hitting with the back of the knife. And the reasoning why was what he was trying to do is make sure they were alive. So you, when you knock on a clam and it kind of closes up, motherfucker's still there. Motherfucker's still with us. You know what I'm saying? Motherfuckers will... So you, what you normally think is with a clam, you use a clam knife, which is like a butter knife. You go to the side and then you kind of crack it open the shell. Gonzalo didn't do it that way. Gonzalo went in there like a fucking maniac. He went in there with a with a battered knife because this is the clam knife. It's a long chef knife. He stuck the chef knife in. So the hinge is down. He stuck the chef knife in, cut it all the way down, and he sliced through the whole thing, making two clams on two different side shells. I've never seen anything like it. So he didn't, he split it right in the middle. So this motherfucker, he cut it right in two. He just went right down the seam. He, had, he opened it up and then all of a sudden you got two clams. He cut it in two. And then he served those with some garum on it. The garum was dynamite. Then he served us those langoustines. I know the scampi. I think those are. I think we would refer to them as with the the long shrimp with the long shells. And those were grilled. And then he sent over some uh, a whole fried little tiny fish that looked like he just pulled them out of the water. Completely fried, head and everything was on there. Then he had the the um, more shrimp with the the heads were, f- were cooked hard that you suck the heads off and just don't repeat that. Just just let it be, Craig. You're not here. It's don't say that's what she said. I've, I'm telling you, I know. I didn't mean to say it that way. I said it. The fucking shrimp was awesome. Then he came out with this pulled pork sandwich that was like. The most amazing that we split in two that was unbelievable. Then there was a rabbit hanging up. He had some rabbits hanging up high by the fire. He cut it, brought it down, and then chopped it up. And we chewed on this rabbit that was awesome. Everything tasted very fresh, very well seasoned, nothing crazy. There was one vegetable the whole day. Shout out to Borja. At some point, you're going to have to get a vegetable on that menu, my man. I mean, the only thing we did have the second time was he grilled, they grilled up some string beans and some broccolini. That was really good. And then he had some like shishito peppers, but there ain't no shishito peppers, a thinner pepper. But that was the only green I had. There are no, the only salads are on that plate are what the animals probably ate before Borja got a hold of them. You know what I'm saying? We had vegan animals. The animals, I'm sure, the animals, I'm sure, had salad. So that means I ended up with salad somehow, right? Okay. The food was unbelievable. We had to stop him. Then he started bringing dessert. And he had this one custard that was made with egg yolks and sugar that was just insane with this whipped of this um, not sweetened whipped cream and it was like the best goddamn dessert and he had a smoked ice cream with fucking strawberries and he had a kick he i mean borja is my guy when, and we had to say stop we also drank a bottle of wine happens to be apparently that's a good way to get rid of jet lag it worked natural wine we're gonna talk about natural wine so so we left we waddled out of there Tomer's the man. We're having laughs with Borja. We sat in the back with him. He was awesome. 
we had a wonderful dinner. And the first thing I said is my, I said to Borja, I said, Borja, my wife and daughter are coming. How can I get a reservation for, I need, my daughter needs to get a hold of this food. And we got me a reservation and I was just so, I was excited because my kid needs a good, she needs a good experience, you know? We got back, got ready for the class. The, um, we had a, I mean, you're dead after you eat a dinner like that. I mean, it's over. I mean, there were, we ate for two and a half hours, easy two and a half hours. I'm just going to take a sip of, I'm going to take a sip of cold Bev. You don't mind? I'm just, it's just me and you right here. This tall, this talk about food made me thirsty. That reminds me, my favorite seltzer of all time is the soda water they drink Catalan. It's called Vichy Catalan. It's like seltzer water with salt in it. And I, I don't know. The first time I had it, I didn't like it. And then every single time there was the opportunity to have a Vichy Catalan, Vichy Catalan is the seltzer water, I had to have it. And it was great. And it is apparently, it's kind of like got the same effect as Gatorade. So if you're like hungover, you get that Vichy Catalan and you're in squared away. I'm actually going to get some Vichy Catalan in New York because I can't help myself. So speaking of which, Catalan. So I was saying that in Spain, it's like there are these different groups and different people and different cultures and stuff like that. And what they speak mostly, the, mo- the primary um, language that they, pardon me, that they speak in, 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 well, this part of Barcelona is Catalan. So I'm under the impression that Catalan itself is, it's kind of like a mix between French and Spanish, but it's hard to understand. Apparently if you speak Spanish, like my wife speaks Spanish and Gnome, uh, Tomer's wife and Tomer speak Spanish, but they don't speak Catalan. So there's a lot of Catalan. That's the words with, you know, when you see that Spanish with all the X's and stuff, if you see an X, in a Spanish word, chances are Catalan. Just saying. I mean, I might be wrong, but I'm, I'm, I don't think I am. So there's a lot of Catalan in there, and um, they're learning Catalan and stuff like that, and his kids learning Catalan in a school, and that's the kind of the standard. It's a nationalistic language, and apparently in different parts of Spain, it's much more, well, you know, it's a, it's, they don't like it if you're not speaking Catalan. Like, they don't speak to you in English. When I was there, I had no problem. Everyone pretty much spoke English, um, uh, a little bit of Spanish. So the first morning, or two, the first two people came, uh, and uh, Tomer and I got them grinding. We had to get them ground, and they were using the jig. And then, there, you know, you, you got to do this little move where you're training them how to do it and just w- go this way back and forth and back. And don't go back and forth like too crazy. Keep them on the side. The most important thing, and I think that if you're in a class in general, if you're teaching a class, no matter what type of class it is, especially if it's a knife-making class or if it's a uh, blacksmithing class, what you want to do as a teacher, and the best teachers, the best teachers are the ones that can foresee a problem before it happens. Those are the ones that are the real great teachers. You can teach a class and tell someone how to do it, and if they don't do it the way you do it, you can say, well, they didn't do it the way I did. If you can foresee a problem before it happens, you are a better teacher. And I really, with all the time I've spent at CMA, with all the time I've taught teaching, even in, you know, because blacksmithing is one of those things you can't go back, I put it with everything. So I try to foresee problems where they happen. No, there were no, we had a great time. There were no gougings. I was very conscious of the fact that these people were coming in not the correct shoes. Some of them were coming in $3,000 sneakers and stuff like that. And then, you know, they were, but you know, we gave them the warnings. They listen, they don't listen to anything, but they had a great time. 
So had him doing the brunt of it. I would take the knife away like the last 10% and then just kind of like put in a little distal taper, take out any problems, get a little extra thin. We'd run it into the back. We were using their, his version. I remember the name, but it was like basically AEBL. And it was awesome, and it was easy to grind. Um, I'm not used to using a jig, but uh, it it was great. And we got in the rhythm. We got in the rhythm, and then we would run it to the Scotch Bright room. We put in the brown Scotch Bright, then the red Scotch Bright, then the blue Scotch Bright. Bingo, bango, bongo. Get them out the door. Bring, send them over to the guys who are helping him do the stacked handles, and then the next group would come in. So we would have, you know, hour and 45 minutes or so to kind of ex- quickly explain knife making. And then we also explain the fact that what's he treating and these knives are already heat treated. And we, it was, you had to kind of get a rhythm in regards to where you needed to be at a certain time. So Tomer and I rocked it. First night done, got the last group in. The last group always has the best amount of fun because then all of a sudden we're playing around because we're not so, you know, hauling ass to get everybody out. Not hauling ass. But because there's a deadline, when people show up, you can't tell them where you're, you know, you give them a specific time to come in. You can't say, oh, yeah, by the way, they're half an hour late. Can't do that. So you got to, we have a specific deadline we got to hit. And we have to also not only let them do as much as possible and feel that they've done it themselves, but you also have to make sure that you can do some fast repairs, the last 5% of the knife. So number one that it's thin enough evenly throughout that it's going to be a very good knife. But you can't have any problems because when the guys sharpen at the end, they're going to use the Tormex. And um, the Tormex on jigs, if you got a thin spot, that jig's going to make it fucking extra thin. So you you got to like, it's, it's, a, it's a tight, you're in a tight spot and I really loved it. And then the second day, so when they left our, that for, on the first day they left the grinding room, then he would send them over to the guys who would show them how they do the stack handle. And it was great. You got to pick your own colors and do your own thing. And then they would, you know, put the pommel on, weld the nut on the back, put the pommel on, and then glue it up. And then you're out for the day. So it wasn't a super long day for these guys. A lot of these guys were not in it for a long day. They were in it for four hours. Four hours, and then it was an easy way for them to have a good experience and to get out the door. And then the next day, and then we had dinner, and one one of the best parts of this whole trip was because Tomer and Noam have two young kids and they had a lot of work to do, they had their parent, uh, Tomer's parents come. Tomer's dad is easily, and I'm not just saying this, Tomer's dad, Leon, is one of my favorite human beings. I love this man. Number one, he looks like an old version of Tomer, which is great. He's funny. He's stylish. But he is still that old, he still sounds like a weak old guy, but he's not. He's very vibrant. He's funny. He's interesting. And, but he's serious. Like his, his delivery is very serious. So we were having really interesting conversations about stuff. And the funny part was he would ask me these very, very, what sounded to him like an easy question, but the answer was never going to be an easy question. The funny thing was like, here's an example. And he sounded like Hoffy a little bit. A little bit. I'm going to give him I'm gonna, my impression will, of, of Mr. Botner will be uh, the Hoffy impression. So bear with me. He goes, Jeff, tell me, United States, what's going on with all the guns? What do you say? What do you say? And then all of a sudden I'm just like, because at the same time, when you're an American in a foreign country, 
three quarters, I would say seven eighths of the time, nine times out of 10, you only speak one language. Most Americans are known for speaking one language. Most Europeans and we, everybody else, Israelis, speak more than one language. Some speak two languages, some speak three languages, some speak four languages, but our reputation of only speaking one language really makes you feel stupid, frankly, and, and we're going to change that. So I had to like, I'll be like, all right, well, this is a very complicated issue and let's just talk about it. And then I get the, I get the sign from Tomer and Tomer says, so I start talking about this, that, the other thing, what's going on in the world and like that. And then all of a sudden I could tell within two sentences, <laughs> Mr. Potter was, he had it. He just threw out a grenade and just wasn't even interested in my, their response. So that was, you know, that he ended up getting a, my WhatsApp number. And now my favorite thing is I will get these wild videos. He would, one of his favorite things were these videos of police pulling people over, but the person they pull over knows more about the law than the police officer. So like that, that is a mind blow. Cause I guess in, 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 in Israel, if, if the police officer asks you for your ID, you give him the fucking ID. <laughs> There's no like, I know my laws and I don't have to give you. There's no, he said to me, he said, if you're in Israel and a cop or a military guy wants your ID, you give him that fucking ID. There isn't like, oh, I want to speak to your supervisor. Isn't nothing like that. So all I get from him now are videos of American police officers pulling people over and then the the driver is going, yeah, I don't have to give you my information. It's like one after the other. And now it's hilarious. He sends me all these fucking crazy videos. He's, he loves them. So God bless Leon Botner. I am with him hundred percent. And he came to the shop and we called him the inspector and he was really funny. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed every minute I had with him and his wife, Colette, Tomer's mom, Colette was amazing. Incredible cook. We had a lot of laughs. They were very sweet. It's a very sweet, loving family. And I enjoyed being around them. So the next day would be the, uh, we'd finish up. It was an easier day, which I liked. We would demo how to grind the knives. We would grind the handles because it's not a cylinder. If it was a cylinder, a straight cylinder, you could just roll it on a, on a disc grinder. But because there's a con there's like a curve, you have to do the sides on the disc sander. And then you use for the insides and the outsides, you're using a radius platen. A, ra a rotary platen. I'd never really used a lot of rotary platens. Rotary platens got um, like four wheels and then there's a rubber belt. And then you put your, your 2x72 belt on there and then it gives you some like resistance. So you can get the curves of the outside. You get the curves of the inside. And we did it. We ground them. We did the demos. We They did it. Then they would hand sand it and we would sit around we would sit around with them while they're hand sanding and the next group would come and it was great. And everyone had a good time. And then at the end, uh, one of his guys would do the sharpening. Another guy would do the laser etching and everyone left with these great knives and it was awesome. And the knife design came from, I, it would be my uh, design that I'm doing now, these hidden tang knives I'm doing now, which I'm referring to as stingers. I'm coming up with names of things and I, I'm going with it. So I, it was this, this, the, the design, the stinger design with the Florentine kitchen knife's handle. It was a great little knife. And um, it complemented last year's, we did last year, we did the double agent, which was my eight inch K-tip with the handle. So it was awesome. So the first class went great. Everyone had a good time. And then the last night, Sunday, the sh one of the guys who works for Tomer is a cook. 
is a professional cook. He actually worked in New York from Venezuela, Ernesto, God bless Ernesto. He cooked a big dinner. Last time we did it, uh, Tomer wanted to, uh, Tomer, we cooked, he cooked, but he, I think he said to me, I don't want to cook anymore. We'll get a guy to cook for us. And it was one of the guys who works for him. So Ernesto made this great dinner. And, and then by the time the dinner happened, my wife and daughter arrived. So they, they kind of woke themselves up and then they, we all went over to the dinner and we had a great time. We had lots of natural wine and then uh, Ernesto made a paella, which was delicious and beef and there was shrimp and there were sardines and there were lots of different types of dry. I listen, I had some, I have eaten so much hamon. We got to talk about hamon. We got to talk about a couple other things and then I'll leave you alone. Hamon Serrano. The, the, the Serrano, there's different kinds of hamon. J-A-M-O-N. Hamon, which is, it's, it's very similar to prosciutto, except Italy and Italian Americans and people who identify as Italians. I'm giving you this at, with the utmost respect. I'm giving you this respectfully, but you got to bow down. The prosciutto ain't it. Prosciutto ain't it. Hamon Ibirico, Ibirico ham, Hamon Serrano. They got you beat. They got you beat, and you're just going to have to understand that it's just the way it is. And I didn't want to be the bearer of this news. I mean, you, we could, you, everyone can argue that Parmesan cheese could be the cheese of cheeses, but prosciutto got to step aside, okay? Prosciutto got to step aside because of the Hamon Ibirico, Hamon Serrano, the Spanish have that fo- those fucking pigs squared away. They're eating acorns. They're they're it, the, it, it's it's deeper. It's more flavorful. It isn't stringy. It's just I mean I ate some. I'm up to my I am I'm I am up to my back teeth in jamón. That's Spanish, and you can't call it ham because it isn't like ham. Not boiled ham. They put it on everything. The traditional thing in Spain is you get a little baguette sandwich. Spain's got the bread game down. They do everything on a little baguette. And what they do is the tomato on, they call it tomato bread in English, but it's pan tomat. Pan con tomat. Tomat con pan. It's tomato on bread. So they take old bread and they rub it with some garlic and then they smush in some puree of tomato, and that's the base. And then they put the hamon on top, and they put the cheese. If you get a ham sandwich or a hamon sandwich, there will be a thin layer of tomato puree on there, and you're going to like it, and you're going to love it. God damn it, I've eaten so much goddamn hamon, it's just out of control. I have never had so much pork products in my life, and I took complete advantage. I am not apologizing for it. It was, I, everything I ate in Spain was delicious. Every goddamn thing I ate in Spain was delicious. And the sausages and the goddamn, you can't call them salamis, but I want to call them salamis. They're dried sausages. Boy, God damn. It was so good. Everything was so good. So we had a great time. And then that week after the first class was done to the second class, my wife and daughter and I, we just roamed. We, my wife is unbelievable. When it comes to a vacation, unless there's only a beach there, we walked, we walked nine miles one day. We walked seven and a half miles another day. We walked everywhere. We got familiar with Barcelona and I want to talk about Barcelona. Barcelona is an incredible, incredible city. And one of the reasons why is because the municipality and the culture of Barcelona 
invests their time and energy and money and resources into the youth, into the youth. So there are things for young people. They are encouraging young people. There's arts programs all over the place. There are, if you go to the beach, so we were at Florentine Kitchen Knives. I was at the Travel Lodge, Pablo uh, New. It was five blocks away from the beach. You, I was right next to the Rambla, Pablo New, which is like a plaza in between the streets. And there are bars, there are restaurants and cafes and there are ice cream places. It's just as great walk to the beach. And then you go to the beach and what's at the beach? Volleyball. Nets everywhere, everywhere is a volleyball. They have volleyball all over the place. Beach volleyball is a thing over there. Then you walk down the boardwalk and there's this huge built-in skateboard park, like skateboard pools and ramps. And it was like they, this goddamn city spent money on the youth. You can tell if somebody builds a skateboard park or a bike ramp or, and it was like a skateboard, like these very... I mean, it wasn't like a baby thing. It was like a real beautiful thing. They're spending money on the youth. They don't do that that much in the United States like they do there. And then you walk farther down. And guess what? Topless beaches. Bottomless beaches. There are. There was nudity. There was nudity. Let's talk about a, let's talk about a nude beach, okay? Because I got a hot take. This is not much of a hot take, but it's a hot take. So the titties were out. Nobody was... I'm going to say something slightly, slightly inappropriate. I already did that whole thing on the sub, but I'm going to go a little bit more inappropriate. There is this, you know what? Just hold what you got. The, the, if you're a man at a nude beach, but it's not really a nude beach, it's clothing optional. So there's a mixed clothed beach. So you could just go down with your girlfriend, go down with your boyfriend, go down the beach and you just slap down onto the sand and the guy and you could be fully clothed the guy next to you might have his dick out and that's fine if that's what you're if it's fine with you it's fine with me there was a sign saying respect nudists and respect non-nudists so there was you want to take your dick out at this beach by all means let me tell you about and there were some women there were some women there was some toplessness there was some bottomlessness It was, you know, they were doing their thing and nobody's causing a stir. I did not do what my father used to do. All right. My father used to go to St. Bart's in the the Caribbean with my mother. And he used to sneakily take pictures of topless women while they were like, while he was walking past them with his camera. It was so gross. I I heard about it. I was just like, he wasn't like lurking and like kind of jerking off in a bush or anything like that. But he was just like trying to get some, I mean, it was just unnecessary. So I was telling my friends, I said, don't worry, girls, I'm not going to be like my old man and start snapping pictures of some titties. You know what I'm saying? But there was this one dude with his dick out by the shower and he was just scrubbing everything. And I saw a couple guys no clothes, and I came to a very, very, very important understanding about nude beaches in Europe. If you're a man going to a nude beach, there's two options for your mindset. Two options for your mindset, and that's it. There's no in-between. You're a man going to a nude beach in Europe. Everyone says it's okay. It's not like, you know, 
Well, three things. Number one is you cannot go with a fucking bathing suit tan. You've got to be fully tanned. If you're a real, if a real nude beach person, you've already, you do not have the farmer's tan. You can't go to the nude beach with the farmer's tan. You have to be like, if you're going to be a nudist at the beach, they expect you to be tan from top to bottom, no tan lines. You are a sun-worshipping professional nudist. Tan lines, sock lines, arm lines, redneck lines, unacceptable at a nude beach because they're going to know that this is your first time and then you're going to be weird. So if this is if you want to be accepted at a nude beach, and I'm not telling you I did it. I it wasn't for me. Uh, number 1, I definitely had a I definitely had I would have had a farmer's tan. I would look ridiculous. There my my dick and balls and ass have not seen sunlight in years. So I know for a fact I have been naked indoors in usually in the bathroom. So I know that my penis has not seen the sun since I was a child. So I know there is no sun. There's no, my, from, yeah, I'm telling you, dick and balls are like mole. It's like a mole that's never seen the sun. You know, they're squinting their eyes. It's like one of those prisoners who have been in a prison for so long. And then they come out to see the sun and they're blinking hard. Dick and, my dick and balls have not seen the sunlight in a long, long time. Probably since I was a child. I don't think I've ever been naked outdoors in a long time. So, naturally, my first time won't be in a fucking nude beach. So, number one is you got to be fully tanned. That's professional, Joe. That's a professional. Professional, fully tanned. Number two is you either have to have an enormous penis or think you have an enormous penis. Because if you think that you have... if and We're not talking about a nudist beach. We're talking about mixed clothing beach. Some people are nude. Some people aren't nude. If you are a nudist and you want to go to the nudist beach, that's for you. But if you want to be... You want to co-mingle with the clothed, you either have to know you have a big penis or think you have a big penis. Because one dude had a fucking baby's arm. He had a baby's arm, and I think I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I don't know the European anatomy. I don't know if there's any differences between Spanish dudes and American dudes. I don't know the difference between me and a fucking uh, swarthy Spanish guy with his dick out at a public beach. He might have been slightly aroused might just slightly he had a little bit of cantilever you know what i'm saying it wasn't just drop drooping down there was some cantilever going on he had a little bit of cantilever and i don't have to explain it but i think that there was a little i think he was into the fact that he knew i got a big dick and people are going to know i have a big dick and this could turn into something so my man was like baby's arm at let's say what it was at three o'clock he was, he was holding it at three. He was, I mean, fucking thing was so big. It wasn't collapsing on its own weight. So number one, you either definitely have a big dick or I saw a guy with a very small penis. It could have been a woman. So he might've thought he had a big dick, but look, you know, he's confident in what he's got. And if you're confident in what you got, that means you think you got a big dick. So that was all the nudists. I saw a couple dicks. I saw a couple naked women. I saw a lot of, frankly unimpressive physiques frankly if if i'm being honest nobody was nobody was really like not one of them who was naked was really kind of like bringing the heat i think that people who bring the real heat well dudes with big dicks they they don't give a shit but women like 
really, really beautiful women who are naked, they ain't doing it for you. You know what I'm saying? They know that they got good shit, but they're not giving it any of you. So there was a lot of like, hmm, let's just say questionable isn't the right answer. It's just like mediocre nudity. You know what I'm saying? It's some subpar nudity. No one's getting hot and bothered except for like weird Americans who are just like hot to see some titties. But I mean... We're all we're already overexposed with the internet, so it's just like, you know, let's just relax. But it was relatively mediocre nudity as far as I'm concerned. I would give it a hard C plus. C plus on the nudity. Um, nothing to write to the governor about, nothing to complain at a board meeting about, nothing to make a a proclamation on Facebook about, uh, not really worth any outrage, frankly, but it was just like, you know, you wanted better, but you got what you got. You know, there's a, there's a whole look, there's a confidence in the people of Spain and maybe even the people of Europe. There's an expression that I hate to tell you, but it's called Jolie led Jolie led. And it's like, I, or led Jolie, Jolie led. And it's basically like ugly good-looking ugly people so that was that's an that's a fucking thing that's a fucking thing and europe you got that there's some confident ugly people out there and and god bless them i mean i'm I'm not anything to look about nothing special to look at either but i mean i mean no one was turning my head I mean, not that there needs to be anyone turning my head, but fine. So I loved it. They people were confident. They were they were confident with how they looked, and they were having a good time. So that's good enough for me. I love Spain. I'm ready to move. It was kind of like the Lower East Side on a tropical beach, which I loved. So we walked around. We saw the sights. We saw all sorts of people, um, clothes, unclothed, mediocre, perfectly nice, fine. I'm down. And the other thing is, is if you can go to a mixed beach and not get horned up about it, maybe this is the place for you. Maybe you can just be with people and not worry about what they're wearing, not worry about any of that stuff. You know what I'm saying? So God bless you, Barcelona. I'm with you. We did a lot of walking and then we ate, uh, Borja took care of us again. My daughter, it blew my daughter's brains out. He started sending food and more food and more food. And my, what we had sweetbreads, which my wife, God bless her. She is not at home. She's a vegetarian. And I said to Borja, she doesn't eat a lot of crazy stuff. And he's just like, okay, no problem. And here come the sweetbreads. Sweetbreads were delicious. She ate them. She ate everything. We killed it. My daughter was, I was a pro getting to a really nice restaurant with an awesome chef who gave me a hug and was super cool. And then the staff was said, you know, calling, calling my daughter a VIP. And I got the brownie points, ladies and germs. I got the brownie points. So that was awesome. Totally stuffed, ate like pigs, lots of Vichy Catalan, lots of shrimp. And uh, we had, they gave me one of the best bites of chicken I ever had. And the chicken was medium rare which i hate to we got to talk about that someday medium rare is the way to go but you know don't don't get squeamish with me best piece of chicken i ever had we just giant brought over this borja brought over this giant cod he almost killed us all i had to stop it all beautiful desserts apricot sorbet that was the best goddamn sorbet i ever had in my life and then uh, we had a great time. We did a little more walking, more traveling. We had a great time as a family. The most important thing was that I was not, I wasn't worried about the classes. So I was very invested in the time I had with my wife and daughter. I mean, it wasn't a free trip. I mean, but it, 
helped compensate. It helped us compensate, you know, make it so we could afford as a family to go. And then they left, like wife and daughter left, which was very sad. My daughter was very sad. She saw this as the end of her childhood. Apparently I got a message from the airport saying Lila felt that because I didn't come back with them and the trip was, they've been looking forward to for so long and it was over. It was the, she's going to graduate now. We did the second class, another banger class, great students. Awesome. Everyone had a great time. Uh, we had a great time. My friend, our friend, uh, who listens to this podcast, we're going to talk about new forest, new forest knives, old Stuart Middleton, Stuart Middleton came down. Stuart Middleton is the man. Uh, I, I am a big Stuart Middleton fan. Uh, he, what he has done for, uh, for knife making is great. Uh, let me make sure I got his Instagram correct. New forest forge, new underscore forest underscore forge. Stuart's the fucking man. He came, he's an air traffic controller at Heathrow. He told me some hairy stories to the point where I say, why don't you save these for full blast? And he basically says, I cannot talk about these or I shouldn't talk about these and uh, what it's like being an air traffic controller. And he had come to CMA uh, for the friction folder class and we had a blast and he came down for, uh, he wanted to learn. He, of all knife makers, I, I talk to a lot of knife makers on Knife Talk and on Instagram and stuff like that. Stewart's the man because he doesn't say I'm full time, I'm part time, or want to go into business. He knows this is his hobby and this is his passion, and he just wants to do it. He's built himself his own hydraulic press. I don't think he has any. I mean, I, he loves his job as an air traffic controller. God bless him because he told me some stories that I would not like at all. And, um, he came down, we had a great time and then we did the second class and we had another great party. Ernesto made an awesome dinner. And then afterwards I went out for drinks with Stuart. Now I can have a drink or two. I thought to myself, I'm going to be leaving the next day. So this was Sunday night. I told Stuart I was going to have a drink with him Saturday night. I felt too tired. I canceled on it, but I said, we're going to go out for a drink tonight. I'm thinking one drink. Well, that didn't happen. Um, he, we walked to a place that was turned out to be an Irish bar and we had a great time. We had a lot of laughs. We talked about this podcast. We talked about knife talk. I gave him the inside scoop to a lot of funny things. We had a great time. And then we had a Guinness and then we had another Guinness and then we had a third Guinness. And I was just like, okay, I've got to fly tomorrow and I can't be like totally nuts. And then I was telling him there's a really, you know, you think that Spain is known for a sangria. It isn't known for sangria. It is, I guess it is known for sangria, but the national drink of Spain is vermouth. And you think to yourself, vermouth, is there sweet vermouth and dry vermouth? They make a sweet vermouth that you pour over ice with a little kind of, you know, twist of, of orange. And it's very inexpensive. And you and it's like, but it it's delicious. And it's just like, it tastes like, it's very herbaceous. It's kind of, there's a kind of a Campari thing going on. It's, it's a, obviously it's, it's a type of bitter. And we just got a couple glasses of vermouth. It went great. I definitely felt like I was there too long. I definitely felt I was going to be hungover. We had a lot of laughs and God bless you, Stuart, but I definitely should have said no, <laughs> maybe four drinks before I said, all right, that's enough. So we had a lot of good times. I think we did a couple shots some bullshit that the Irish bartender gave us and uh we had a good time we had a great time and Stuart is awesome he listens to this podcast and uh Stuart I really appreciate I appreciate you picking up the tab too so thank you so much for that that was a lot of fun uh we definitely had a great time and then the next day uh I I, I uh what happened next day I 
checked out. The fucking cleaning woman knocked on the door at eight in the morning to say, I think you're checking out today. And I thought, I figured I had a little bit more time than that. So I got up and got everything out. We tried to record. It got too late. Uh, and the sound was no good. So I went to the airport. I went to the airport and then uh, had a great time. Tomer and his wife are amazing. The kids are amazing. I, the shop is awesome. And I wanted to talk about, uh, I wanted to talk about something I figured out about Tomer's Knives. And we're going to wrap it up. And I don't know if we're going to have time to talk about the fucking stepson from the submarine, but we'll see what it goes. So one of the big debates I have as a knife maker is finishing, finishing the handles and finishing the knives. We hand sand our blades. And the in the beginning, I hand sanded the blades because I thought it looked better than the belt finishes. And I thought it was a very easy finish. I thought when it, when you're cleaning your knife, if you have a ring or some way there's a scratch, if you have a belt pattern, a belt finish pattern. Uh, so a satin finish is you hand sand from the heel to the tip and a belt finish is the, that you're holding the knife against the, the blade and the, all the scratch lines are going, satin finish is going from the, from the spine to the, to the, to the edge. I always used to think that it was because I thought it was easier to maintain. I thought it was a better look in general. And I thought that it makes your, if you're looking at a knife as a directional object, your eye follows the lines and the satin finish going from the heel to the tip makes your eye, it helps make your eye continue all the way to the end. So for me, it was one of those things, there was no question in my mind that they just, for me, they look better. I've actually done some uh, satin finish knives with the belt with a belt finish. And with my knives, they just don't look as good. And, and I couldn't tell you why. But with Tomer's knives, Florentine kitchen knives, they look great. And we did all the knives. We did 16 knives with belt finish for all the students. And I was looking at all of his knives. And they just looked better. And I couldn't understand it for a long time until this trip. Why does his knives look so good? with a belt finish and why do mine look so mediocre with a belt finish and i'll tell you why i figured it out when you have a stacked handle and the discs have lines there's a direction to the discs whether you like it or not they go up and down they're alternating patterns of discs and all of a sudden the lines are going up and down so if you do a belt finish that's going up and down, following the same pattern as the the lines in the handle, automatically, mentally, you're there. You already, you don't have a direction anymore. Like if you were having, like we're doing my knives where they have a, you feel like you're being led down a path. The belt finish, when you start from the heel and you go all the way, your eye automatically like gets stunted somehow in this little way. And if you look at Tomer's knives, they're not like that. Tomer's knives, because the stacked handle is the same line pattern as the belt finish, it works. It works. And that was something that I figured out that I was like, you know, that's the reason why his looks so good because you're continuing that pattern. It's almost like the, the lines from the blade are being vibrated out from the handle. So that was something really cool, and I got a lot out of talking with him in regards to Spain, regards to him as a knife maker. I respect him as a business person. Um, we talked a lot about 
what you invest in and as a business person, what we should be focusing on. And it was a lot different than the talk we do on Knife Talk where it's like full-time versus part-time and these little bullshit things and these little things. And how do you invest in your company? How do you deal with, we were talking numbers, we were talking sales, we were talking percentages and what we should be doing and what our percentages of everything should be. And it was very enlightening. And I respect him as a person. I respect him as a designer. I respect him as a leader. I, res- I learn a lot more from him just being around him. And we just talk about knives. We talk about, you know, what we're doing. He just went down to Valencia to, to, to kind of be, be at this very exclusive restaurant award ceremony. And it was very, it was very, I always learn something when I'm with Tomer. And um, I'm appreciative of everything I've gotten from him. And he invited me back. We're going to go back. So next June, we will be back for sure. I will be there. And I encourage you guys to go do a workshop with Tomer because the best thing is for me is we. I've gotten his system down. I don't do knives like him. My knives are not like his knives. But learning someone else's techniques and decision-making and ways is really good for you to kind of like, you don't have to learn how to make the same knives as that you make. And I, I encourage anyone to come down. It's a very fun trip. We, the food is always good. This is the, this will be the best food time you will have uh, at a knife making course or a blacksmithing course. And you don't really need any experience. So if you have no experience, this is for you. If you have plenty of experience, you can, you know, we give you free range. I mean, you know, uh, I know that Stuart got really was a, was very smart in the way he wanted to go about it. He really wanted to learn the different, some different techniques and he picks a lot of stuff up and he had a good time. He left with awesome knife. So I got to tell you the only bad thing, the only bad thing about the trip was the jet lag. I fucking suck with jet lag. And number two is I've just, I've just, uh, started to poop normally. And I think that the first couple of days of Hamon have just came out and I am like finally getting back to my life. For some reason, I can, the jet lag this way coming from Spain to New York, I'm pretty good about, but from New York to Spain, I was kind of like in a fog the whole time. So that was that. Um, but like I said, I had a great time and I know that my family had a great time. And, um, I'm very appreciative of, of Tomer and I want to get him back on here, but it's hard because like he doesn't have a setup. I got to send him some stuff. I got to figure something out. But the, the, the sound is the issue. Like he had like jackhammers going up upstairs. It was, it wasn't any good. So that was awesome. And then what happened was on the way back, I got sa- I So like I said before, I get uh, cheap tickets and I got Iberia airlines. And I guess what they do is they kind of farm out, uh, to different companies. So I ended up on level level is terror level is the spirit airlines of Europe. So level, um, sat me next to a guy who was just staring for nine, for eight hours. He was staring out the window over my shoulder. He was staring and he was like, we, it was just weird. And it was just, the whole thing was weird. And there was no air conditioning. That was rough. Uh, you're on a plane for eight hours and you, you know, the first time you go, it's too cold. So you wear all your clothes. And then the next time you're jammed in the corner with nothing, with too much clothes, and you're sweating your ass off. Um, my wife picked me up as soon as she got up, we are now in graduation party mode. So I am about to run out and get, get ready to cook for a hundred people. 
That's right. My wife and daughter are having a graduation party. I'm involved too. So we're going to have a graduation party for my daughter. And that's it. It was a great time. Um, I wish I could have gotten better audio with Tomer. I'll take another listen to it. Maybe we can fix it. Otherwise, um, there's a lot of insight from him. Um, but uh, I would highly say in regards to friends, there's none better than Tomer Botner. And he is smart. He is efficient. He is no bullshit. He is he's the kind of person you, he, you want. For, if you're going to have a friend... You want a friend who will tell you the truth, not afraid of, you know, just talking plain. And um, he's that guy. I've learned a lot from him. I think that he's learned some things from me. Um, But if he hasn't, that's fine, too. I would rather be with friends who are uh, smarter than me than than not. And he is one of the smartest. So Tomer Bodner, you are the man. Uh, Florentine Kitchen Knives is awesome. Go check out Florentine Kitchen Knives. Get on their newsletter. I know that they have a couple knife classes, uh, workshops available now. I know they have one in September uh, with Horn and Heel down from um, Nashville. Is going to come to Nashville? Nashville, something like that, Tennessee. He's going to go up to make knives with Tomer. You can go with him. He's going to have other things. And then I'm going to come back in June. So definitely check that out. And with that said, we don't need to talk about the stepson. Do we? Do we need to talk about the stepson? Is this the after show? Is this the end? This should be the end. So in the beginning, I said the submarine. We don't, as of now, I, we just, it's just so far, it's a sad story. But it's a sad story. Wouldn't be the way I'd want to go. Um, but uh, I obviously I made light of it all, um, and I'm still gonna make light of it all. But, uh, obviously, relax. I mean, you know, it's fine. But it's humanity, and obviously, we don't want to make jokes about uh, the tragedies of humanity. However, the stepson of one of the billionaires has really kind of played some weird cards. So apparently the stepson of one of the billionaires who's trapped in the sub decided to go to a Blink-182 show, which is weird. Your stepfather is trapped possibly miles under the ocean with a very small amount of air and a small box of box for shitting and probably all eaten bologna sandwiches. And you decide to go to a Blink-182 show and then tweet about it or Instagram about it or social media about it and send a message to Blink-182 saying, hey, my stepdad's down in that sub. I'm hoping you can cheer me up or so something like that. The whole thing's fucking weird. And the, the, the story really is, is the fact that he's just ready to, you know, maybe you don't like that stepdad too much. The billionaire stepdad, maybe... There's two things going on. One is you pretty much think that he's done and you don't like him. And number two is you're going to be possibly inheriting some, you know, if you're a billionaire, if you're the son, if you're the stepson of a billionaire, you're going to get something, you know, I mean, you're going to get something. Will you be like me and be the son of a millionaire who gets nothing? Yes, that's one thing. But a billionaire... You're gonna get. You're probably in there for something. I mean, you're probably gonna. I mean, uh, wh- I mean, even if they didn't like him, I mean, there's like a million in there, right? The mother's gonna get something, right? So he probably thinks, well, you know, I gotta cheer myself up. I need some. I mean, this is a tragic story, but I mean, he gotta cheer himself up somehow. 
And he wrote, you know, my family would want me to be happy here at the Blink-182 show. I mean, that's fucking weird. I mean, nobody, you know, I, I mean, if something tragic was happening and I needed to be by the phone, I don't know if Blink-182, I wouldn't be, you know, saying things to Blink-182 about it. I mean, she's just so fucking weird. The other thing is, is you don't want him coming back. The, 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 if you're the son, the stepson, gone to the Blink-182 show, the stepfather is down there. And it's harrowing. And it's probably, you're claustrophobic. You're in this tiny space. You're probably going apeshit. Nobody can get to you. You're going to die in here. The stepson doesn't even, he's not, he should be sitting at home. He should be sitting at home by the phone with his mom or doing something. Not going gallivanting along in a Blink-182 show. But what he knows is, if hopefully the f- I want the father to come back now I made all those jokes that he's gonna not come back I want the father to come back and the not just because of the humanity of it all I want the father I want the stepfather to come back from this fucking boat trip from this terrible submarine voyage I want him to be hauled up alive barely alive I want him to be this is what my what I want I want the stepfather to come back barely alive I want the, him to be interviewed i want him to be brought back to life i want him to be this to be the most harrowing situation of his i want this to change his life i want him to be a better human being than he was because he saw death in the eyes i want him to be brought back i want him to be brought back and then after a month of rehabilitation of a month of who knows what kind of pressurizing what kind of organ damage he had from being two miles under the ground they can't just bring him right up and get the bends whatever the fuck that is i want him to be resuscitated and rehabilitated back to life and then i want everybody to show him the fucking tweets from his stepson and i want him to make the mental connection i'm down at the bottom of the ocean with in this tiny can with four other assholes I and then there's, we're smelling each other's feces. We're smelling each other's urine. The urine and the feces are now overflowing the black box because what can you do? What can you do? What can you do? Hopefully he didn't have a lot in his... I mean, who knows? But like he's in this coffin at the bottom of the ocean with a mounting pile of feces with five people who they can't stand up. You're sitting, as they say, crisscross applesauce. He He's remembering the time he's in there. And then he gets to the top of the... He gets saved. Life is good. Maybe he found God. Maybe he found enlightenment. I want someone to show him the tweets from his stepson from a Blink-182 concert. And I want him to be like, you little bastard. I was dying down there smelling other people's feces, thinking I'm going to die. And you're there fucking around with Travis Barker and Blink-182. What the fuck kind of human being? How could this be your stepson? you got to go straight to the lawyer. You've got to do whatever it takes. You... I'm going to say something not as I'm going to say something as a vicious guy. You've got to divorce your wife. As soon as you get up and you see those Travis Barker picks, your stepson is not for you. The the they, the stepson was not raised correctly. You've got to divorce the mother. Whatever it takes. You got to get her out of her life because her son is waiting for you to die and you have the proof of it and he's at a Blink-182 concert. 
fucking, I'm, I'm rooting for this guy to come back. I want him to come back only to see his ungrateful stepson at a Blink-182 concert while he's smelling someone else's shit in a goddamn metal coffin under the water. I am all in on the billionaires coming back. A lot of people are like, yeah, you fucking billionaires out of touch, $250,000 to go in that submarine you, 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 with, with a joystick. I want him to come back. I want him to come back. I want him to come back and I want him to fucking thank God he's back. I want him to thank the doctors for getting him. I want to thank the Navy for pulling him up. I want him to thank the everybody for him to survival. And I want him to motherfuck his stepson. Because his stepson wanted to go out in Blink-182 show. Unacceptable. I'm not with that kid. I'm. Let's root for the billionaires this time, guys. They need to come back and they need to handle this fucking punk kid. Because he's asshole. He's an asshole. If something happened to me and my stepson was at a Blink-182 concert while I'm smelling someone else's feces and I'm hungry and think I'm going to die, I'm coming back and I'm divorcing his mother. That's number one. The mother's got to go. She's got to go and take this son with him. All right, guys. I've said enough. Perhaps I've said too much. Obviously, the mania and the jet lag are in the confluence. I am fucking there. But guys, I want last but not least, and this is not a good tie-in. I, you never mind. Don't worry about that. I'm going to tie in next week. But that's it, guys. Let's root for the billionaire this time. This guy has got to come back. He's got to come back, and he's got to divorce that wife because the son's got to pay. The son's got to pay the ultimate price, okay, guys? But we're not going to pay the ultimate price because we are going to be above the water in our total boat. You know what I'm saying? All right, guys. Listen, all the fun's enough. It's enough already. All right. Next week, Riley Kirkpatrick's going to be here. Riley Kirkpatrick's going to be here. We're going to talk about all the stuff he's got going on. He's a great guy. He's a uh, interesting character, awesome, bla- uh, awesome farrier and blacksmith, and we're going to get his whole thing. Uh, once again, thank you to Tomer. Obviously, Tomer Gnome and the Florentine Kitchen guys. I appreciate you, and um, I'm sorry it didn't work, but you don't know how it is. Um, didn't work. We're gonna, we'll get you back. And that's it, guys. So next week, Riley Kirkpatrick. I'll see you tomorrow or next week. And uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's root for the billionaire this time. You know, let's root for the billionaire this time. Just this one time. Only this one time. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Makers.